Let's turn then to John chapter 4. John 4 and at verse 46 onwards. For those of you who've been following very closely in this series, let me commence by saying that this story is not to be confused with the one told in the Synoptic Gospels, both Matthew and Luke, concerning the centurion's servant who was at the point of death and was healed. We dealt with that story some while ago under the title, A Centurion Who Became a Christian. He then is a bewildered man who became a believing man. He was right up there in the echelon of society. He was a regal man, a noble man. Tragedy had come into his home. He'd experienced what men and women will experience at any level of society, the wealthy and the poor, the wise and the simple. He'd experienced sickness, threatening death. And speaking as a father, I can just imagine how this man must have felt as he watched his beloved son sinking day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. Nothing more disturbing, nothing more agonizing than to watch your own flesh and blood begin to slip away through disease and sickness and ultimately death. I think we're absolutely right in assuming that he had sought every means possible for the cure of his son, and every means possible had failed. And then he heard that a certain Jesus of Nazareth had appeared on the scene, and in Cana of Galilee had performed the miracle that caused the entire neighborhood to talk about it, to gossip about it. He had changed water into wine. And he reasoned thus within himself, undoubtedly, if there is somebody who can change water into wine, Surely there's somebody who can change sickness into health. And so he came to Jesus, a bewildered man who became a believing man. I want you to notice three things about this man. First of all, what I'm going to call the defective faith which Jesus detected in this man. For when he came to the Lord Jesus, the Savior said to him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come, ere my son die. These are strange words to a man in desperation, and yet the Lord Jesus addressed these words to him for a purpose which not only served that moment, but every hour and day and month and year down through the centuries, and particularly at this very hour. You see, Jesus detected a defective faith in this man. Why was it defective? Why, because his faith in the first place was based on the philosophy of scientism. It was the intellectual class of the day, and what they wanted to see was proof before they'd believe. The philosophy of scientism. We find it all over today. But you know, the Bible absolutely repudiates this, completely repudiates this. Why? Because God cannot be put into a test tube. You can't reduce God to an operating table. You can't put God into a capsule. You can't reduce God to mere scientism. You believe God, and then you prove God. You don't prove God, and then believe God. Paul, of course, deals with this superbly and magnificently and irrefutably. In the first chapter of his epistle to the Corinthians, he says the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Why crucified? Because the cross utterly cuts right through the scientific method and the philosophical approach. 
and reduces man utterly to the place of complete brokenness and simple faith. Faith plus nothing. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the gospel completely sweeps aside any concept of my having any part whatsoever to do in the salvation which God provides. He had a defective faith. It was defective because it was based on the philosophy of scientists, signs and wonders. It was defective because it was based on the philosophy of human pessimism, fatalism. For in response to the Savior's words, the nobleman said, and notice these words, Sir, come ere my son die. The moment that whole philosophy of scientism was smashed from underneath his feet, he was utterly hopeless. And the moment the Lord Jesus shot away from underneath his feet his philosophy of scientism, the moment he rebuked him for coming to him with this defective basis of faith, at once he was thrown into utter human pessimism and fatalism. Sir, come, ere my son die. I'm hopeless then. You're the only one left. Am I talking to somebody here who has found up until now that the block to trusting the Lord Jesus Christ is the kind of scientism that this man used? Am I talking to somebody here who says, very well, I was made this way, the world is moving to destruction, so there's no hope. I'll enjoy myself while I have breath, while I have life. My friend, that's defective faith, and Jesus sees right through it tonight. But let's hurry on to the next point, which to me is just thrilling. Not only do I see here the defective faith which Jesus detected in this man, but secondly, the responsive faith which Jesus created in this man. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. I don't know whether you've ever read this story or whether you've ever looked into the details behind this story, but I think it's absolutely fascinating and thrilling. Of course, what a man says means absolutely nothing unless there's something characteristic of that man which demands response to his word. Unless this man had seen in the Lord Jesus Christ all that would give authority to the word that he spoke when he said, go thy way, thy son liveth. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have believed. And so I'm going to point out, first of all, that there was something about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that created this faith. Jesus saith unto him, Jesus. Now, he'd never met Jesus, as far as we know. He was a man of great wealth probably arrived in his chariot or horses. He was a ruler. He was a petty king. He was the prime minister of Herod Antipas, as some have said. But at this moment in his life, he looks into the face of the Son of God and something happened in his heart. And I want to say, my friends, that this is the great teaching of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And that verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, it's a principle of God running from Genesis through Revelation. The moment a person looks away from himself, his scientism, the moment a person looks away from himself, his pessimism and fatalism, and focuses on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, something happens. Something happens. Faith is born. For looking off unto Jesus, the Savior becomes the author 
and finisher of faith. And with scientisms driven right from underneath his feet, standing there absolutely desperate, with his son at the point of death, he looked into the face of the Son of God, and faith was born. First of all, there was the radiancy of the person of Christ that created the faith. Then the authority of the promise of Christ. Jesus said to him, Go, thy son liveth. And he believed. And it's a very interesting thing that these are the two means by which faith is produced. As we read the word of God, looking off unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he believed the word which Jesus spake unto him. And he went his way. Why? because faith had been created in his heart. Now, you know, on the surface, it doesn't quite tell all the story. We've got to dig under this verse here and notice when Jesus said, Go, thy son liveth. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And it doesn't say he returned to his house immediately. And we read later on that the hour at which this boy was healed was the seventh hour, which was one hour past midday. He doubtless came on horseback or in a chariot, being the kind of man he was. But even if he had walked, he would have still arrived before six o'clock, which was the end of the day. But he didn't arrive until next day. Where did he spend the night? I don't know. But he was so utterly confident that the word of Christ was sufficient to heal his son, he just went and visited friends and had a wonderful night. He said, my son's well. No need to go and even discover it. I don't need signs and wonders now. Scientism has been absolutely exploded once and forever. I believe the son of God, that's sufficient. He's alive. I'll go and have fun. To me, this is a demonstration of believing faith. And his servants, by the way, didn't come that day to tell him the news. They came the next day to find out where he was. The concern now was from the whole men. Where is thy master? Has he been lost? The son is well. Let's go and find him. I love that. Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Yesterday. Our first point was the defective faith which Jesus detected in this man. Why defective? Because it was based on the philosophy of scientism. It was based on the philosophy of Satanism. But secondly, the response of faith which Jesus created in this man. By his radiant person, by his authoritative word, faith was created in this man's heart. What happened to his son can happen to your soul. For they that hear the voice of the Son of God shall live. And tonight, just to hear this word and to believe it, and to believe that the Son of God has authority to make you live, that dead spirit of yours, dead to God, dead to the Bible, dead to Christ, dead to everything that spiritual can live. The moment you allow that word to become your word and you just lay hold of it by faith, in that moment you live. My closing thought, look again at the productive faith that Jesus perfected in this man. For we read, Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. What the Holy Spirit is telling us here from this story is, 
that now this man who had already exercised the response of faith because of the vision of the Savior, because of the authority of that word, go thy son liveth, he's now got, listen carefully, a productive faith. And a productive faith is characterized by two things. First of all, Christian maturity. He himself believed. Already he was growing. Already he was growing. This faith was confirmed in him. He could sing and mean blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And the test, my friend, that you've really come to grips with Christ in a living faith is that that faith is growing. It's growing. It's growing. It's being confirmed moment by moment. He knew that it was Jesus who had done this. And he himself believed. One of the tests that a man has really come to grips with the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith is that that grace is now and that faith is now maturing. But though something more about this, not only was it characterized by Christian maturity, but also by Christian activity. Oh, I love this part of the verse. His whole house believed. His whole house believed. As he broke into that circle of the family, not only did the son who was raised from the dead believe, not only did his wife believe, but his servants believed. His whole household believed. That faith was contagious. That faith began to influence others. And in his confession of his Lord and Master, I see it now happening in that whole circle. One after another, believed. His whole house believed. You see, life produces life. And wherever the river of life flows, people begin to live. Show me any evidence of anybody in the New Testament who really had life, who didn't produce life in others. Is your faith defective? Is it because, like so many people today, your philosophy is that of scientism? Except I see signs and wonders I will not believe. Is it because it's based on the philosophy of fatalism? We're going to die anyway, so why bother? Is your faith, on the other hand, a responsive one? Am I talking to some man or woman, down deep in your heart, you're longing, you're longing to meet Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, risen from the dead, mighty to save. And he's right here. Look away to Jesus. Only believe and live. And hear his words say to you, Go, thy soul shall live. As you lay hold of his person, as you lay hold of his promise, faith will be born in your heart. And as you go back home, listen you're going to know not only a responsive faith, but a productive faith. Because the faith he gives is productive. And he perfects that productive faith in Christian maturity. You'll go on believing. In Christian activity, you'll go on witnessing. Well, what a feast we've had in this series, Change Lives. And in today's message, a bewildered man who became a believing man. And Dad, you talked about a faith today that was created in the soul of this nobleman. How was that faith created? David, as I think about that, I believe there are three component parts that God uses. One is testimony, secondly is authority, and the third is methodology. First of all, testimony. You know, I once heard Dr. Carl Henry, known as the theologian of this century, in the evangelical world, give his testimony. We were in Europe together for a series of meetings, and for reasons I can't begin to tell because they're too long, he gave his whole testimony. He was a skeptic. As a reporter, there is a skepticism that always controls thinking 
and to have given him a Bible or talked to him on scripture at that point would have never, never touched this amazing intellect. But you know, he worked with another reporter who was a keen Christian, who determined that he wasn't going to talk to him about Christian things, but just live it. And the power of that life eventually wore Carl Henry down. And he had to turn to him and he said, what makes all this difference in your life? Then you move from testimony to authority. He said, well, it's through this book that I came to faith in Christ and talked to him about the scriptures. And he said, that's my authority for talking to you. Then I talked about methodology, and that is, of course, showing the way of salvation. And there are many ways to do that, but ultimately it's bringing people to surrender to Jesus Christ. And that's how Carl Henry got converted. And I believe that's how God creates faith in us. Well, continuing on this theme of faith, you also said that where there is no development of faith, there is defective faith. And responsive faith always leads to productive faith. If faith isn't growing or maturing, is it an evidence that it's not true faith? It could possibly be so. But, you know, the more you talk about faith, the more you're driven to those three examples given in Scripture. Faith comes by looking to Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Faith comes through living in the Scriptures. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And thirdly, faith comes by leaning on the Spirit, trusting the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of faith in our hearts and lives. And that's how faith develops. And if that doesn't take place, then it is defective. And we've got to start from ground zero. Well, thank you, Dad, for those comments and for the message today. And our featured resource this week is the book Basics for Believers. We've just learned about a man whose faith became mature. How might this book help in that process of becoming a mature Christian? Well, the whole book is designed to do that. It starts with believing in the fact of God, believing in the person of Christ, believing in the authority of Scripture. Those are the first three chapters. And then it leads to life, the whole scope of life as it's taught in Scripture. Then from there to the claims of Christ in John's Gospel, the seven I am's, the claim of Christ. Then we go on to what I call mentoring for membership. Discipleship and membership within the, the local church. Exactly. Well, it's a great book, and it has tremendous material in it, and of course, all based on the Word of God. These are our messages. They can become Bible lessons for a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, or for a pastor who is seeking to teach and lead his people to maturity. And so I want to encourage you to get the book Basics, for Believers by my father, Dr. Stephen Olford. It's available right now from our office. Well, we trust that today's message, A Bewildered Man Who Became a Believing Man, has been a blessing to you. And if you want to listen to it again or attain a copy of it for a friend, it is available on cassette, and we'd love to send it to you for a gift of any amount. And this whole series, Change Lives, 
is available as well, so let us know if you wish to order it. There are 12 messages in this series on six cassette tapes, and this would be a wonderful series to challenge your own life as well as to give to a friend or someone who may need to come to know the Lord Jesus. All the information you need to contact us will be voiced by our announcer, Tom Dooley, in just a moment, so be ready to copy it down. And to all who reach us this week, we want to send you a free copy of our resource catalog and our 2004 Institute program schedule, as well as our Lifeline leaflet, Next Steps. But for my father and all of the staff at Olford Ministries International, I thank you for taking the time to listen today. Thanks for your prayer support. And thanks for standing with us financially. We treasure your participation with us in the work of the gospel. And we'd love you to let us know how we can pray for you or how we can help you spiritually. So be in touch with us. And let's be sure that our faith is fully focused on the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ, through his written word, the Bible, so that we can be maturing in him. Now, please stay tuned for information about how to contact us. The Stephen Olford Center for Biblical Preaching offers many powerful ministry and training resources that will help you grow in your faith and in your ability to present truth effectively in the power of the Holy Spirit. To find out more about our resources and events, find us on the web at olford.org. Or you can write or email us this week, and we'll send you a free catalog and conference schedule. Now, here is Dr. Stephen Olford with an important final word. This is Stephen Olford, and here I am once again with a very personal word to you. Nothing thrills us more than when you write to us. When you write to us, you're telling us in a practical way that you are listening. You are praying for this ministry. It is even more meaningful when you attach to your letter a gift to undergird this ministry. As David has often said, this is a ministry of faith. We have no guarantee outside of the promises of God and the people of God. We trust the promises of God, but we also trust the people of God because God uses people. So stand with us and thank you so much for being part of our audience. God bless you. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which could also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.